Welcome to the DC Debrief for Friday, August 25th, 2023. I'm your host, John Stolness, and coming up, a throwdown in Milwaukee, and Trump talks to Tucker. I'll have CBN News political analyst David Brody stop by for his analysis on the first GOP presidential debate and Trump's counter-programming interview with Tucker Carlson. Also, Trump is arrested in Georgia, the president visits Maui, and the former lead of the Wagner Group dies under cloudy circumstances. All that coming up here on this edition of the DC Debrief. Just a reminder, everyone, to tell a friend or a family member about the DC Debrief. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. So uh, please subscribe to us and uh, tell a friend about the podcast as well. All right, everybody, let's get to the debrief for this week. Republican debate in a boisterous and at times contentious two-hour debate that showcased some deep divisions between a more traditional GOP and a newer generation of Republicans. The candidates squared off on virtually every hot-button issue at the center of the Republican primary season. CBN News White House correspondent Abigail Robertson was in Milwaukee for the debate and has more. The 2024 GOP primary now officially feels underway. And the eight candidates on stage hope the energy from the first debate builds a much-needed momentum on the campaign trail. As your president, we will get the job done, and I will not let you down. In the debate on Fox News, Vivek Ramaswamy made the case it's time for a fresh face in Washington. If you have a broken car, you don't turn over the keys to the people who broke it again. You hand it over to a new generation to actually fix the problem. The seasoned politicians, though, came ready to spar with the rising political newcomer. So the reality is... America less safe. You have no foreign policy experience, and it shows. Now is not the time for on-the-job training. We don't need to bring in a rookie. The last person in one of these debates, Brett, who's stood in the middle of the stage and said, what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama, and I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur. The candidates debated whether there should be a federal abortion ban. We must have a president of the United States who will advocate and fight for, at the minimum, a 15-week limit. Or leave it up to the states. No Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president could ban all those state laws. Don't make women feel like they have to decide on this issue when you know we don't have 60 Senate votes in the House. 70% of the American people support Support legislation but to 70% ban abortion of the after Senate a baby's capable not. of And they had a moment to comment on the elephant not in the room. Donald Trump. Trump is the most disliked politician in America. We can't win a general election that way. Moderator Brett Baer had to quiet the crowd from booing Chris Christie for claiming Trump broke the law. We have to dispense with the person who said that we need to suspend the Constitution to put forward his political career. Mike Pence said no, and he deserves credit for it. When asked if the candidates would support Trump if he wins the nomination, all but Asa Hutchinson raised their hand with a mixed signal from Christie. Obviously, I'm not going to support somebody who's been convicted of a serious felony or who has dis- is disqualified under our Constitution, and that's consistent with RNC rules. Ramaswamy also stood out as the only candidate on stage who doesn't support sending more money to help Ukraine. This is disastrous that we are protecting against an invasion across somebody else's border when we should use those same military resources to prevent across the invasion of our own southern border. And the only candidate who is committed to pardoning Trump 
which he pushed Pence to agree to as well. Make a commitment, the same oh. justice system that was this Vivek, corrupt. the difference between you and, and me. Yeah, I'm not a professional actually, politician. That's I've the difference. Actually, who can answer uh, a question? I've actually given pardons. If I'm president in the United States, we'll give fair consideration any pardon request. The debate after GLOW isn't expected to last too long, with news coverage turning back to the frontrunner as Trump turns himself in to Atlanta's Fulton County Jail for his most recent indictment. Reporting from Milwaukee, Abigail Robertson, CBN News. And after the debate, CNN held a panel of Republican voters and asked who they thought won the debate. Anyone think Doug Burgum did the best? That's zero. Anyone think Chris Christie did the best? He certainly got most of the airtime. A lot of the airtime, not most of the airtime. How about Ron DeSantis? How many of you think Ron DeSantis did the best? That's two people. How about Nikki Haley? One, two, three, four people. Asa Hutchinson, Mike Pence, zero. Vivek Ramaswamy, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Tim Scott. Okay, so this panel here thinks Ramaswamy won the debate. Meanwhile, Trump and Tucker respond. No, Trump wasn't at the debate, but he also wasn't talking to Tucker Carlson live as the debate was going on. The interview that aired as counter-programming on X was actually recorded a few days before. However, Trump's interview with Tucker took some of the attention away from the eight candidates who were trying to beat him out for his old job. Tucker asked why Trump wasn't at Wednesday night's debate. Well, you know, a lot of people have been asking me that, and many people said you shouldn't do them, but you see the polls have come out, and I'm leading by 50 and 60 points. And, you know, some of them are at one and zero and uh, two. And I'm saying, do I sit there for an hour or two hours, whatever it's going to be, and uh, get harassed by people that shouldn't even be running for president? Should I be doing that? Uh, and a network that isn't particularly friendly to me, frankly. You know, they, uh, they were backing Ron to Sanctimonious like crazy, and now they've given up on him. I mean, he's, it's a lost cause. In discussing January 6th, Tucker asked Trump if he felt the country was heading towards a civil war. There was love in that. There was love and unity. I have never seen such spirit and such passion and such love. And I've also never seen simultaneously and from the same people such hatred of what they've done to our country. So do you think it's possible that there's open conflict? We seem to be moving I, I towards don't something. Know. I don't know, because I don't know what it, you know, I, I can say this. Uh, there's a level of passion that I've never seen. There's a level of hatred that I've never seen. And that's probably a bad combination. And discussing the indictments being leveled against him and its positive effect towards him in the polls here in the Republican primary, Tucker wonders what Trump's critics will do next. Try to put you in prison for the rest of your life. That's not working. So, like, don't they have to kill you now? I, th I think the people of our country uh, don't get enough credit for how smart they are. And I, I'm not sure I would have said this 10 years ago, but they get it. You know, they yeah. really get it. And we're going to talk to David Brody about both of these stories coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Trump turns himself in. The former president turned himself into the Fulton County Courthouse on Thursday night. And for the first time in U.S. history, we have a mugshot of a former president of the United States. Trump was released on $200,000 bail. Arraignment is set for the week of September 5th. After his release, the former president spoke to the press before leaving Atlanta. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election. And I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. 
when you uh, have that great freedom to challenge, you have to be able to, otherwise you're going to have very dishonest elections. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows it. I've never had such support. And that goes with the other ones, too. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. There's never been anything like it in our country before. This is their way of campaigning. And this is one instance, but you have three other instances. It's election interference. So I want to thank you for being here. We did nothing wrong at all. And we have every right, every single right, to challenge an election that we think is dishonest, that we think it's very dishonest. So thank you all very much, and I'll see you uh, very soon. The former president himself is using the mugshot on his social media platforms, posting a picture of it on Truth Social. Trump also posted the mugshot on X, the platform formerly known as Twitter that he appeared on uh, with Tucker Carlson on Wednesday night, indicating Trump's profile is now up and running, and he appears ready to begin posting messages there as well. Earlier in the week, John Eastman, uh, former chief of staff Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, and a number of other indicted members of Trump's inner circle all surrendered to authorities, all had mugshots taken. Trump is also undergoing a shakeup with his legal team. Just hours before he was set to be booked, he added Stephen H. Sadow, a veteran criminal defense lawyer who's who's handled a number of high-profile cases. Sadow filed a document with the court stating that he was now the lead counsel of record for Donald Trump in the Georgia case. Now, in the classified documents case, a Trump employee who monitored security cameras at Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate abruptly retracted his earlier grand jury testimony and this week implicated Trump and others in obstruction of justice just after he changed attorneys himself. That was he went from a, an attorney who was paid for by a Trump political action committee to a lawyer from the Federal Defender's Office in Washington, D.C. The aide, who has been described as Trump employee four in the public court filings, held the title of Director of Information Technology at Mar-a-Lago. He initially testified to a grand jury in Washington that he was unaware of any effort to erase videos at Mar-a-Lago, but after he got this new attorney, he immediately retracted his prior false testimony, according to the government, and detailed the alleged effort to tamper with evidence related to the investigation of the handling of classified documents at Trump's Florida home. That's according to the new court documents. So uh, the president now with four different arrests in four different locations, but this one in Georgia, the only one to have a mugshot attached to it. Prigozhin plane crashes into a missile? In I'm shocked there's gambling at the casino news, the former commander of the Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, is dead. A plane he was in either crashed or was shot down by Russian military forces on Wednesday, a little over a month following his shocking protest and or coup attempt, however you want to define it, against President Vladimir Putin. CBN News national security correspondent Caitlin Burke with the latest on that. Video shows the plane suddenly plummeting from its cruising altitude of 28,000 feet. All 10 people on board are reported dead, and Russian authorities have confirmed Prigozhin was on the flight. An investigation is now underway, but so far no reason for the crash has been reported. Some images from the wreckage reportedly show puncture marks, which experts believe could suggest a missile strike rather than a bomb blast. When we look at the wreckage, uh, you don't see any of that outward expansion that you might see in a bomb. Also, you would think that the Wagner folks would be very protective of the airplane and not to allow a bomb onto that airplane. President Joe Biden says he's not surprised and hinted that he believes Putin could be behind the crash. 
There's not much that happens when Russia is not behind. But I don't know enough to know the answer. Back in June, Prigozhin led a brief mutiny, pulling thousands of his Wagner Group fighters out of Ukraine and directing them instead to march on Moscow. Prior to the rebellion, the mercenary chief called out Russia's defense establishment for alleged mismanagement of the war in Ukraine and denying weapons to his soldiers. He called off the coup after allegedly cutting a deal with Putin. Back in 2018, Putin did an interview where he said everything is forgivable except betrayal. Clearly, Prigozhin betrayed Putin, uh, and every day that Prigozhin was walking around a free man in Russia was a symbol of humiliation and the weakness in Putin's regime. During a press briefing this afternoon, Pentagon Press Secretary Brigadier General Pat Ryder confirmed initial U.S. assessments do suggest that Prigozhin was killed in the crash. They have no information about how the plane was taken down. However, they do not have reason to believe it was a surface-to-air missile. So no confirmation yet from the Pentagon or from intelligence sources whether the plane had been shot down or whether it just simply crashed. Biden visits Maui. President Biden visited the nation's 50th state this week to tour the damage and meet with victims of the devastating wildfires. CBN News reporter Hillary Powell recapped the president's trip and the recovery efforts that are still ongoing. President Biden said he's witnessed a lot of heroism, a lot of hope while on the ground in Maui. Sadly, up to 1,100 people are still considered missing, and the president is urging the entire country to stand with Maui because the state's governor says the death toll is expected to go up. And so the people of Hawaii, we're with you for as long as it takes, I promise you. May God bless all those we've lost. May God find those who we haven't determined yet. And may God bless you all. A blessing from President Joe Biden, while the FBI and police share the reason why they need families to submit DNA samples. We're not recovering whole bodies. I think I talked about it before. We're picking up ash. Grieving, even during new beginnings. Hugs are welcome relief for wildfire survivors on their first week back to school at Maui Prep, the only school open in West Maui. Some students jumped into the water to avoid the fire. There was nowhere to go, so we just had to be in the water for like five hours straight. There are growing questions around Maui County's response to the deadliest wildfire in U.S. history. I'm happy to report that the road is open to and from Lahaina, Hokio Road. Video from an August 8th interview on KITV shows the mayor seemingly unaware that a half hour before this taping, evacuees had already fled into the water. Hawaii's governor promises to investigate what went wrong. To fight widespread water shortages, Operation Blessing is on site in Lahaina, providing water filtration systems, grills, and propane for cooking. FAA airport funding. This is one of those stories that can affect you, the listener. It's why we want to bring it to your attention. The Federal Aviation Administration said this week that $121 million from agency grants and from the 2021 infrastructure law will be handed out to eight airports from Florida to Alaska. This comes three months after the FAA announced $100 million in similar funding for a dozen other airports. So they're really starting to invest some money 
in a number of different airports across the country. Now, the airport to get the largest amount this last round, $44.9 million, will be Boston's Logan International Airport in an effort to simplify the airport layout. And as someone who once got stranded at Boston Logan International Airport, I can tell you that that is, well, that is needed. Logan is where a collision was narrowly avoided this year. Back in February, a JetBlue flight was 30 feet from touching down on the airport's runway four when a Learjet operated by a charter company took off in front of the airliner from an intersecting runway. Yikes. The NTSB is investigating seven runway incursions involving commercial airliners since the start of this year, says the board. And the FAA's announcement follows a New York Times report on Monday that found the number of near collisions involving airliners is higher than previously disclosed. So far this year, close calls involving commercial airlines have been happening on average multiple times a week, according to the New York Times and FAA records. Some of the other airports receiving money uh, during this latest round is the Ted Stevens Anchorage International Airport in Alaska, Reagan Washington National Airport in Virginia, Willow Run Airport in Michigan, Eugene F. Kranz Toledo Express Airport in Ohio, Richmond International Airport in Virginia, Jackson Hole Airport in Wyoming, and Naples International Airport in Florida. So if you live near any of those airports, uh, you could be seeing some improvements pretty soon. All right, that's going to do it for the debrief. And now let's take our deep dive for the week. And joining me to talk a little bit about what we saw on Thursday night in Milwaukee and the Trump Tucker Carlson interview that was on X or Twitter or whatever it is we're calling that thing now. So our CBN News Chief Political Analyst David Brody is joining us here on uh, the DC Debrief. Uh, David, thanks for coming. How are you? I'm doing great, John. Thanks for uh, having me. You're right. X, Twitter. I don't know. I can't keep up at this point. Yeah, I, it's, you know, I'm I'm st- I think I'm just going to default to Twitter from from now on because people aren't going to know what I'm talking about. You know, I, yeah, I, just, I still call Facebook Facebook, you know, so let's let's <laughs> let's not overcomplicate things here um, in this ever changing world. And David, you know, it's been a busy 24 hours for you really all week. You've the, the there's been so much buzz leading up to this debate. And we finally got to see these candidates on stage with one another. Before we get into the specifics, let me just ask you what I think is probably an unfair question because I don't think there's any one real answer, but in your eyes from where you sit, who won last night's debate, if winning that kind of a thing is even possible. No, I'm glad you put the preface there and the disclaimer because people will have different opinions, obviously, and it also depends how you define what winning a debate is. But, but here's how I define what winning a debate is. And that is who, who's getting the buzz, who's getting the headlines, who, who's the one that was able to break through? And the answer is Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. So, I, you know, I think he won the debate. Now, having said that, uh, I, I thought he was a bit overtly aggressive. I don't think he needed to be that aggressive against the other candidates. Uh, I don't think that helps him at all. I thought he was a bit snarky at times as well. But putting all of that aside, look, the guy is like, uh, what did Christy call him, chat GPT? I mean, that, that that's... <laughs> not being very kind to chat GPT because quite frankly, uh, he might even be better. No, I don't, can anybody be better than chat GPT? But the point is, is that the guy's really smart and it was on display and not that I have to pat myself on the back, but I don't mind if I do, which is, I've been saying this for a while. I said, wait Mm -hmm. till Vivek Ramaswamy gets on the debate stage and people are going to be like, whoa, what was that freight train that just hit America? And I think that's what he showed. He's very, very smart. His closing was great. He was, um, he was coherent. He was uh, intellectual. He was oozing intellect all night. 
and mo- maybe most importantly, he had the crowd with him for the most part because he is populist. And so even though Trump wasn't on the stage, Vivek Ramaswamy was kind of like Trump's stand-in in a way because he was channeling Trump throughout the evening. And this is, we get more into this in a moment, but th- but this is where the Republican Party is going. It is there now with Trump. It is going further into a populist mode. And that's why Vivek Ramaswamy uh, was very comfortable on that debate stage last night because he knows that the base of the party is mostly with him and not with some of the folks that are considered the old guard, which is mm. kind of that Reagan 1984 playbook. Yeah, you, you. We were having a conversation about this on our on our Teams chat uh, last night uh, as we were watching this, and you made the point, and I think it was a, a really good one that there's a there's a generational divide that's growing in the Republican Party, and Ramaswamy really touting himself as we need a new generation, we need a younger voice. We, but what and what it seemed that he the role that he was auditioning for was the role of Donald Trump, and you mentioned Donald Trump's stand-in last night, only fifty years younger, forty years younger. However, I mean. He's 38, and I'm just trying to do the math in my head. So yeah, about, about 30 40, years. 40, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like we're, we're talking multiple generations removed from, from Donald Trump here. But, I mean, is there any daylight between what Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy stands for and what Donald Trump stands for? Are there any differences between these two other than age and maybe speaking style? No, I mean, there are some uh, aesthetic differences, obviously. Uh, but beyond that, I'll, I'll be honest with you, you, go down policy as it relates to Ukraine, um, you know, and just d- down the line, I don't really see much. Maybe Israel, uh, you know, Israel, as we know that Vivek Ramaswamy has talked about maybe even potentially, potentially cutting off aid to Israel in 2028. That's crazy. Donald Trump would never do that. Uh, <laughs> so I guess you can kind of nitpick here and there, but they are populist in nature, both of them for sure. The, the, the one line that caught my eye and it, not many people picked up on it, but it was interesting. Vivek Ramaswamy said, look, Donald Trump is the best president of the 21st century. Now, of course, Trump would say he's the best president in every single century. And of, <laughs> and of course, a lot of people would say, actually, a lot of MAGA folks would say, hey, it's not just the 21st century, but let, let's give him the 21st century. All right. So if he's the so if Vivek Ramaswamy thinks Donald Trump is the best president in the 21st century, here's the burning question. Why are you running for president? Why are you running against right. the, why are you running against the best president of the 21st century? And that gets back to the answer is it gets back to what you just said, which is he believes it's time for a new generation of leadership. And it also gets to a little bit of Nikki Haley's point last night in the debate where she talked about how Donald Trump is the most hated politician in America, uh, which, you know, was a pretty solid line. It took Nikki Haley out of the chances for vice president, obviously. Uh, but beyond all of that, I think you put those two together. And I think Vivek Ramaswamy is hoping that he'll strike gold somewhere in between, I, though I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it'll happen for any of those folks on stage. Oh, and that was going to be one of my questions, too, was that when you as you're watching these candidates and you know the lead that Trump has, do, do did any of them give a performance yesterday, uh, last night, that that was presidential enough that you could see them overtaking Donald Trump here in the Republican primary? No, no. And Vivek Ramaswamy's performance was probably the best. And even if you give Mike Pence credit for being, you know, a great debater and he's just, you know, he's solid. OK, that's fine. But he's not with the base of the party. It's There's a total disconnect, an absolute total disconnect. And, you know, one of the interesting parts of that debate, as you kind of alluded to earlier, which is, you know, the Pence Ramaswamy kind of going back and forth at each other. To, to me, that was a proxy battle for the soul of the Republican Party. I mean, that's what this is about. 
Pence is a Reagan guy. Nikki Haley's a Reagan guy. They are traditionalists, and they see a Vivek Ramaswamy coming along going, oh, I don't know about aid to Israel in 2028. Ukraine, no money. We're not going to give them any money. All this populist talk, and they're like, wait, hold on a second. This isn't the Republican Party I remember. And that is why Mike Pence especially was so irritated last night. And for Pence, that's called irritated, by the way. I think that's as irritated as he's going to get. You know, he's the chamomile tea of politics. But I mean, I think last night, you know, we saw a different side of Pence. He, he tried to interrupt Vivek Ramaswamy quite a bit. He was he was trying to kind of, uh, you know, get in there edgewise at every turn. And he was so frustrated because he sees a Republican Party that's getting away from him. This is not the Republican Party that he remembers. He's trying to fight for it. He saw it honestly under Trump. He now sees Vivek Ramaswamy, kind of this new generation of leadership coming in. And that's why I think you saw the vitriol, especially between those two last night, because it was old guard versus new guard. I was surprised uh, Pence finished with the most speaking time of any of the candidates on the stage. That was that was at least being tracked by the New York mm-hmm. Times. And I yeah. just found that fascinating. I, I would if you if you had given me five guesses as to who would finish with the most time, I, I'm not sure he would have come within the top five. So he did he did a good job creating space for himself where the moderators probably weren't going to give him as much of the time as he as he ended up getting. But that kind of leads me into Governor Ron DeSantis. We've been talking for seven or eight minutes now, and we haven't mentioned the candidate who is probably who, who's number two right now in virtually all of the polls. There's some that have Ramaswamy at number two, but in let's say like 95% of the polls out there, DeSantis is the clear number two behind Trump, albeit 30, 40, 50 points behind, depending on whatever poll that you're looking at. And this was, he's, he's number one, he's center stage. This was supposed to be an opportunity for him to make up a little bit of ground to 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 stabilize a campaign that has been riding on the rails a little bit here and yet it seems as though he was completely overshadowed in in this particular debate what did he do wrong last night or did he do anything wrong last night in 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 getting overlooked the way i think that many of his supporters feel that he's been getting overlooked Well, I think you're making some great points. He was an afterthought. His performance was okay. It was pedestrian, but pedestrian ain't going to do it. I mean, a pedestrian's not going to move the needle for Ron DeSantis. And that, that, that was part of the problem. I mean, he wasn't as aggressive. I mean, his answers were assertive. His answers were aggressive, but he, he didn't get in the mix. He, he didn't really kind of do much of anything. He kind of just waited to be called upon. Uh, And here's the other problem for DeSantis. and, And I think this was really key. He's trying to be cute, too cute by half. Uh, that's that's a big part of the problem. He's trying to have it both ways on Ukraine. Like he he talk about if you notice when they asked a raise of hands of who would cut off funding for Ukraine, boom, Vivek Ramaswamy's hand shot up as high as you. I mean, it's like he could touch the ceiling. Whereas DeSantis kind of put his hand up, maybe didn't put his hand up, wasn't sure exactly what he was doing. And then his answer was even worse, which is like, well, I want Europe to take the lead and then we'll let you know. It was very waffly. And, mm. and he was also waffly on abortion when asked about a federal abortion ban. You know, Mike Pence wasn't, uh, Tim Scott wasn't, but DeSantis was. And so, you know, you start to go down the list and you go, he's trying to endear himself to MAGA, but also n- set himself up for a general election. It feels a little bit too Romney-ish. It feels a little bit too political. It feels a little bit too consultant-based. And and you're not going to get anywhere with that. And that's why Vivek Ramaswamy, 
uh, was so good last night because he really believes what he's saying. I mean, he, he, this is what, this is, he wrote a book on wokeness. I mean, he wrote, I mean, he's a, he's a, is he a billionaire? He's close to a billionaire. If he's not a billionaire, he's almost a billionaire. The point is, is that like, he's been very successful. He's very much like Trump, which is, is an outsider who speaks his mind. And, and everybody else on stage, you know, is from that political class that kind of parses what they say and the words matter. And Vivek Ramaswamy just kind of just laid at, laid it all out. Anyhow, I thought DeSantis had an okay performance, but that's just not going to cut it. Do you think that the candidates were better served by Trump not being there last night? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. I mean, it gives them a chance to differentiate themselves and let people... Um, you know, see a little bit more of their policy chops. Having said that, I, I think if they were injected with truth serum, I think they would have all loved for Trump to be on that stage for a couple of reasons. One, Trump on the stage gives honestly them more gravitas to be on the stage with Trump, but also gives them an opportunity to potentially go after Trump or have a moment uh, to confront him. Now, they may think that's a good thing, uh, because, you know, they're going to kind of go back and forth with Trump. The problem is that the base is so much with Trump that that's not really going to do them any favors. But I, I think, you know, overall, this is a, this is a tough, uh, kind of a no-win situation for these candidates. If Trump's on stage, it presents problems. If Trump's not on stage, it also kind of presents some problems. So, you know, ultimately, I think, I'll be honest with you, John, I really don't think it matters. I'm not trying to poo-poo the debate. It does matter. I mean, mm. I think debates are important. We want to hear from the candidates. And personally, I think that Donald Trump should have been on that debate stage last night. Look, if you're going to run for president, it's called we the people. Uh, you need to be accountable to the people. I understand your record speaks for itself. I understand you're up by 50 points, but you're also running for president. Get on the stage, be a big boy and, uh, you know, <laughs> and just go do your thing. Um, and, you know, honestly, he's a great debater. I mean, he, he would put all of them in their place. I also understand, though, why he wouldn't politically want to be on that stage. That It does make sense. But I, I'm of the more old school kind of traditionalist view of like, you know, if you're running for president, get on the debate stage. Last thing on the debate. How do you think the moderators did, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum? Uh, they were OK. They were fine. I mean, I, I personally was had more of an issue with uh, their choice of topics. I, I thought they should have spent more time on the gender ideology issue and the parental rights issue. I think that came late and it came uh, didn't didn't really hit that much. I think they spent a couple minutes on it to Doug Burgum and they moved on. Um, and then they had climate change right at the beginning. Like, well, it was like this, I think the second question. And I, the, the raise of hands on the climate change question, which Ron DeSantis totally basically put, this was a good moment for DeSantis. He put them, Brett Baer and Martha McCallum in their place by saying, Hey, let's not, we're not going to do that raise hands question. You want to have a debate about it? Let's have a debate about it, but we're not going to do a raise hands question. And I thought that was actually really smart and really interesting because this is what MSNBC does. This is what the liberals mm -hmm. do. You know, raise your hand. If you think humans are affecting the environment. Okay. Let's see. Let's pass the smell test. Let's see if you're, you know, a conspiracy theorist or you're a crazy nutcase. So put your hand up for that. I mean, it's that type of stuff that that's an MSNBC playbook stuff. That is not, uh, shouldn't be coming from the quote, fair and balanced Fox news. So I was a li little bit disappointed in that. Having said that, I mean, look, they're, they're trained professionals. They're, they're good at what they do, and they did what they need to do.
I used to work with uh, Republican Senator Fred Thompson, and um, one of the things he always used to talk about was his refusal to do the hand raise thing at uh, the 2000, I think it was the 2008 uh, president, one of the debates uh, when he was running for president. Um, they asked everybody for raising. He's like, oh, I'm not doing hand raising. He's like, I'm not. And then everybody else kind of chimed in. I'm with him. Yeah, we're not, we're not doing hand yeah, raising. Well, but you know what? Good for Fred Thompson. And here's another yeah. thing on that, on that one question about, will you vote for president Trump if he's convicted? Uh, you know, I would have, I would have said if I were a candidate, I said, why am I answering a hypothetical? Uh, we, we, it's a hypothetical. And you know, John, you've been in the business for a while, a long time now. You know, you never, that's rule 101, politics 101, never answer a hypothetical. Yep, exactly. All right, real quick on the Tucker Carlson Trump interview. Um, obviously, both were aiming at counter programming to hit back at, at the RNC and, and Fox News. How successful was the counter programming? Well, it was successful from a number standpoint. And once again, uh, and you have to take these numbers a little bit with a grain of salt, 164 million quote views. Now we understand views don't mean that you're watching the whole 45 minutes. You could be watching 10 seconds of it. But the point is, if you can, if you can throw out a number, 164 million people tuned in for at least a little bit of the interview that's going to be a PR win for you. So, I mean, just that alone, even though I understand those are not, it's apples to oranges to a degree for sure. Uh, but look, this is the new way. We know that uh, cable TV is down in terms of people subscribing to cable television and uh, viewing cable television. We know the network television is down. And we know streaming is up. And so, you know, streaming is what is it, 38% or so? So the point is, is that th this is the new wave of the future. I shouldn't say the new wave. It's here and Trump is capitalizing on it. And I thought it was, uh, you know, a good move for him. Yeah, I don't believe in counter programming anymore because nobody watches anything live anymore. You know, <laughs> you can you can watch the debate and then watch the Tucker and Trump interview anytime you want after it's over. You know, there's it's it's silly. A hundred percent right. Yeah, this counter program. We're going to start it at eight fifty-five p.m. Okay, no one. Come on. I mean, stop. I'll watch it at eleven p.m. tonight, or or right. I'll watch the debate at eleven p.m. tonight. Right. Exactly. You're going to watch both if you're in, into this kind of stuff. And just uh, finally, did Trump say anything in the Tucker interview? I played a couple of clips earlier. I thought some of the interesting things that uh, that he talked about was uh, some of his comments about uh, January 6th. Uh, he he talked about um, the indictments being leveled against him. I thought Tucker had a weird question about you know where they they're going to have to kill you in order to get you to stop. And, um, you know, talked about some of the, whether or not, he, why he didn't show up on the debate stage. Was there anything from the interview that piqued your interest? Well, it all, a lot of it piqued my interest, but his answers were, weren't really what the, the, the big tease ahead of it was. Remember there was a promotional video that came out saying, you know, he was asked about Jeffrey Epstein and, you know, mm -hmm. are they out to kill you and, you know, civil war and everything. But what his answers were just kind of like, I don't know, we'll see, you know, maybe, uh, who knows? So, I mean, he didn't give anything like blockbuster or anything. Uh, so I don't think there was anything there. I honestly, I thought, <laughs> I thought the funniest thing was when he started rhyming with Kamala Harris about the bus goes up and the bus goes down. I mean, that was pretty funny, but it was typical Trump. I mean, I don't think we should expect more. We already know where Trump stands on all of this stuff. Plus he's put, been putting out policy proposals, not just as president, but he's been putting out the actual policy proposals on video and on his websites. And everybody knows exactly where he stands. Well, it was an entertaining night of politics for people who are really into this stuff. And David Brody's been all over the CBN news, uh, 
cinematic universe uh, talking about <laughs> all these different things during the course of this last week. So uh, go to CBNnews.com and you can see his appearances on the 700 Club and on Faith Nation. He does terrific work for us here at CBN News. David, thank you so much for joining me here on the DC Debrief. I really appreciate it. John, always a pleasure. All right, looking ahead, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo will travel to China next week. Uh, Raimondo, whose unclassified email was the target of a Chinese hack earlier this year, is the latest in a series of Biden administration officials to visit China. On Monday, Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs uh, Subcommittee will hold a field hearing on protecting schools from cyber attacks. And on Tuesday, President Biden will host the Costa Rican president for a bilateral meeting at the White House. And then uh, later on Tuesday, he'll hold an event on lowering health costs to highlight the Inflation Reduction Act. So um, it's summertime here. Just we're, They're nearing the end of the August recess, Congress is, but I still got a couple more weeks until Congress is back. So uh, the D.C. schedule, a little light right now, uh, as, uh, as really most of the news is happening on the campaign trail at the moment. All right, now let's move on to the closer. India, a big week. For India's space program, uh, they are now a national space superpower, uh, landing its Chandrayaan-3 mission safely on the moon's unexplored South Pole. The spacecraft launched last month and touched down on the lunar surface at around 8.34 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday. India is now the fourth country to land on the moon and the first one to land on one of the moon's lunar poles. Russia, back in the day when they were the Soviet Union, the U.S. and China have landed spacecraft successfully on the moon. Now, the reason scientists are looking at the lunar south pole is because of recent discoveries of traces of water ice on the moon. India previously attempted a lunar south pole landing back in September of 2019, but they encountered a software failure uh, that that caused the uh, Chandrayaan-2 mission to crash into the surface. But they did better this time around, so now becoming the fourth country to land a spacecraft on the moon. Well, that'll do it for this week's edition of the DC Debrief. Please make sure to tell a friend or family member about the podcast. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and a review. Let me know what you think about the show. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week right here on the DC Debrief. Debrief.